Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show where enjoying a fine bulldog does not mean you're eating some weird foreign food. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Benvenidos, benvenidos, benvenidos a la Pipes Magazine radio show. I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you on a 100% fully pre-recorded episode of, yes, the Pipes Magazine radio show. Currently, I am in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico for the Tobacconist Association of America Trade Association. Uh, More on that in just a minute. But in tonight's show... Uh, in pipe parts, I'm going to talk real quickly, specifically on the Dunhill inner tube. And then my guest tonight and my guest coming up for next week, because that's already pre-recorded because of travel. Uh, my guest tonight, a longer than normal interview because it's Rolando Nagoita. And uh, when Rolando and I sat down to talk, you know, it was almost enough to do two episodes with him, but... We got it, uh, got it squeezed into one, so we're going to trim down the rest of the parts of the show for you and give you a whole lot of Rolando. Same thing next week, but you'll have to tune in to see who the guest is next week. Yeah, uh, we'll, have a, uh, we'll have music, we'll have a quick mailbag tonight, and then a rant. All that coming up on tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And again, as I said, I'm uh, I'm traveling again. I'm traveling this week. Right now, I'm in Puerto Vallarta for the Tobacconist Association of America, which is a, a group of about uh, 70 or 80 owners of premium, uh, primarily cigar shops. But it's a, a four-day meeting and conference with uh, some of the best retailers of uh, premium cigars in the United States. Uh, next week... I will be in Las Vegas for the uh, Tobacco Plus Convenience Show, uh, which is primarily uh, cigarette stores and uh, discount tobacco outlets and uh, convenience stores. So be a bit of a gear shift, but either way, I'll be in Vegas and then uh, might have some fun. Never know. Um, anyway, so uh, bear with us over the next two weeks. Got two really great guests that I saved specifically for this time period because I knew I was going to be gone. And a slightly different format, so hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. At Cornell & Deal, we think the best things in life are better with age. And we are passionate about creating the best possible pipe tobacco available. Fueled by this passion, we introduced the Cellar Series, a collection of blends like no other. While the blends in this series are ready to smoke now, each one has been meticulously designed to optimize depth and complexity as the tobacco ages in the tin. Currently, the Cellar Series is comprised of Oak Alley, Chenay's Cake, Joie de Vivre, Old Grove, and Bourbon Blue, but we will be unveiling new additions to this very special series as time goes on. Pick up a tin to smoke now and save a few for later enjoyment so that you can experience all the richness and subtlety each blend will reveal through the years. Cornell & Deal's Cellar Series. The secret ingredient is time. Contact your local or online retailer for information. Welcome back. Uh, don't forget, in just a few minutes, Rolando Nagoita. And in the meantime, a quick pipe parts on um, on the Dunhill inner tube and how can you tell if a Dunhill stem is an original stem? So you've uh, you've maybe you've bought an estate Dunhill and you want to make sure that it's got the actual stem in it or the actual original stem. Well, what I want you to do is the Dunhill inner tube was made to fit mo- uh, most of the way up the stem and all the way into the bowl. And the tip of the stem, uh, the tip of the inner tube is cut to follow the curve of the bowl. So you put that pointed end in the uh, you put the pointed end in the bowl, then you put the flush end up into the stem. Uh, if you don't have the inner tube, 
The fastest way to tell if a Dunhill stem is an original to uh, an original Dunhill made stem is clean out the inside of the stem real well. And then with a flashlight and your uh, and your best little eyeballs, look straight into the stem uh, from the tenon. Look straight into the stem, and you should be able to see a slight step down inside the stem, right about where the inner tube would stop. That little step down in there, the draft hole inside the stem is drilled out to two uh, two dimensions. The one in the draft, the one going up to the button, and then further back where the inner tube goes in, it's drilled out wider for the inner tube. So the inner tube pushes in and then hits that little step inside there. That little step inside there is what stops the inner tube from moving around or going any further up into the uh, up into the stem than it should. Uh, the reason for the inner tube was to supposedly condense moisture on it but it also made it real easy to clean out the uh, draft hole so you'd smoke the pipe and after a while you'd take the inner tube out throw it away put a fresh one in and dunhill sold replacement inner tubes uh the other way you can tell if a dunhill stem is original or a very good stem is once you've cleaned it out, you should see the white dot on the inside of the draft hole. Because what they did was they play, they drill a hole in the top of the stem, put the white dot material all the way through, drill out through the draft hole again and cut it off and then smooth it a little bit and then come over the top and cut it. So with a very clean inside of a stem, you can actually see that draft hole in there or you can see the uh, uh, you can see the white dot in there all right so there's a couple of tricks for you uh, if you've got a pipe if you've got a Dunhill pipe with the inner tube and you're smoking a uh, a fine cut or a really a really small cut pipe tobacco take the inner tube and rotate it so that the top so that the pointed part of the inner tube is protruding out into the bowl That'll protect the draft hole from some of that tobacco coming down into it. Just a little uh, little tip there for you for uh, Dunhill pipes. All right, um, any questions, suggestions for stuff for pipe parts, please email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, or post it on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on pipesmagazine.com. And in just a minute, my uh, conversation with uh, pipe maker Rolando Nagoya. This is Internet Radio. Eck, I wish I had a genie who could make it easy to order pipes and tobaccos online. You don't need a genie, sir. Visit fournoggins.com. They stock all your favorite pipes and tobaccos, and every order gets fast personal attention. Orders are packed carefully and shipped quickly by priority mail. Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com. I can still see you, you know. A bit rusty, sir. Fournoggins.com. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us on the phone is a, uh, a a pipe maker that I've shared a meal or two with, and somebody that I like to call a friend. I'm familiar with your pipes, and but not so much familiar about your history. So please welcome Rolando Nagoita to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you. All right, so let's tell everybody where did you grow up. I uh, grew up in uh, East Europe, uh, Romania. I would uh, call it more Transylvania because it's uh, it's a northwestern part of Romania, which has a completely different uh, culture from the rest of of the country. Um, So, yeah, I would say Romania politically, but uh, geographically it's correct, but uh, culturally it's Transylvania. And uh, Transylvania is the uh, same area as... uh Dracula? That's correct. That's correct. Yes. 
but you never met any vampires. I never met any vampires, no. no. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, growing up in, in Transylvania, when did you first get interested in smoking a pipe? That was uh, in the early 70s, so 75, 76, I, I, I would uh, recall. I was a student at the Fine Art Academy in Bucharest. That was the capital city of Romania, and uh, I was studying uh, sculpture, metalsmithing, and um, I wanted to become a painter, but uh, that was not, uh, it didn't happen, so I ended up uh, um, in the sculpture, a three-dimensional world, working with uh, wood and steel and copper and other materials. And uh, that's when uh, I was introduced to pipe smoking. Uh, some of my uh, colleagues um, were smoking pipes, and I was uh, immediately attracted by, uh, by this uh, strange object, you know, <laughs> that they were, um, uh, and the smell, of course, that they were uh, um, creating around them. Of course, we could smoke everywhere in the classrooms, in uh, the studios, and the rest everywhere, so there was no such a thing as uh, smoke restriction or anything. And uh, yeah, I was I was curious to see that object. You know, it was uh, uh, so uh, that was when I uh, first time uh, seen and smelled the pipe, and uh, I think I got uh, got pretty interested in that. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, were cigarettes were the primary thing that people were smoking back then? Cigarettes were uh, were uh, were uh, yeah, abundant. Everybody was smoking. I, I, it was very rarely that somebody would not smoke in the in the trains, in the buses, everywhere. People were smoking like crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, pipes, yeah, here and there, but not not too much. No, no. I even uh, pipes were available, very, very cheap, bad uh, Chinese-made pipes uh, made out of cherry wood. Uh, they were not very attractive and not very, uh, no. So what kind of pipe tobacco was available for you to try? Well, there was uh, a, 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 the only brand that was available in the store was some kind of uh, locally made, uh, very dry, with a hay kind of taste, you know, probably based on Virginia, probably very, very uh, poorly made tobacco in the metal tin, and it was called uh, club tobacco, you know. Um, yeah, but that was not what attracted me. What attracted me was the smell of the amphora and the toast that these, uh, these guys were smoking, and that tobacco was uh, not available. That was brought occasionally by uh, tourists. Uh, foreigners and uh, attaché to the uh, embassies and uh, local diplomats, you know, and stuff like that. That was the the thing that really got my attention you know, first time. So, my my ignorance may show through, but at that time Romania was under the uh, kind of sided with the Soviet Union and was behind the Iron Curtain. Correct. 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 So. Uh, a lot of restrictions and um, general products, commodities were very scarce, so we couldn't really, um, you know, find anything uh, nice on the market. Uh, even food was uh, pretty, uh, pretty scarce. So, yeah, it was a pretty tough time. Pretty tough time, I would recall. Yeah. So, when did you get your first uh, your first good pipe and and first good Pipe tobacco. Well, I remember I was uh, I was in um, in college and uh, we were uh, sitting and uh, reading in a dorm and uh, uh, we were like three guys in, uh, in this uh, dorm and uh, one of them pulled out this uh, pipe and I remember these days it was uh, a bulldog. I didn't know I didn't know how to recognize that shape, you know. But uh, it, it looked very interesting with that square shank and with it. It was a sandblast. Uh, I don't remember the brand, but it was a, it's a beautiful, beautiful pipe. And they filled it up with uh, 
I'm four hour board cum riff or Captain Bly. I don't remember exactly which one was the first one I smelled and uh, the room filled up with this wonderful aroma and uh, um, everything uh, was good at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> really enjoying. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, a little bit of a break from the outside harsh world, you know. So uh, I said, wow, you know, this is great. Yeah. When did you leave Romania? I uh, left Romania together with my family, my wife and my uh, son, uh, in 1990, and uh, that was January 1990. That was exactly after the collapse of the Iron Curtain and the communist system. I was uh, we're trying to leave uh, the country for many, many years. Uh, we're uh, trying for for eight years to apply for a passport that uh, we were denied. Um, the, the system would not allow too many people to emigrate or to visit or to, to even getting a tourist visa was was quite impossible. You know, you were supposed to be part of the system to show guarantees that you will return. You know, leave something behind, a house, a car, or something, family, so they can uh, uh, they can uh, have a hand on you. You know, so. But yeah, we left uh, 1990. Yeah, that was uh, was when uh, everything starts getting uh, you know, when the Eastern Bloc opened up towards the West. Now, had you made pipes for yourself in Romania? Well, that's an interesting story because um, the moment I saw that first pipe, uh, I thought, uh, "Well, wait a second, it's." Uh, that's my uh, my training. I know how to to carve wood. I know how to hammer metal. You know how I know how to uh, design. I know how to make things. You know uh, why not making a pipe? You know because as I told you, the, there were some pipes on the market uh, in the tobacco stores. You know, it's very very um, small tobacco stores, but um, they were uh, made out of cherry wood. They were mainly made in China. Very very fairly inexpensive. Uh, with a red stain and very, very crude pipes. Uh, later on, looking at them, uh, horrible engineering and uh, uh, very unattractive. So that uh, that was not uh, not something I would uh, I would pick up. Yeah. And so you decided that you'd <laughs> that you'd try making your own. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, I uh, picked up some wood. Uh, I went home to uh, in a vacation to my uh, to my um, uh, place in Romania. My father had a little bit of a land and uh, fruit trees, and uh, he was heating with uh, with wood at a big wood stove and a living room. And um, there were all these uh, logs um, laying around, and uh, I picked up some um, remember it was lump, some uh, plum wood. It uh, attracted me because it was very beautiful. It was, uh, it was looking uh, close to that pipe, to that bulldog I've seen. So that kind of dark brownish color with beautiful designs on it, and uh, it was uh, very uh, attractive. So I, I start uh, uh, cutting and uh, drilling, and uh, of course there were uh, everything was done, you know, by hand with a. Um, Handhold uh, power drill and uh, actually no power drill. It was an electric cord drill. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, yeah, something came out. The problem I had was with the mouthpiece. I could not understand how they drilled that uh, bent mouthpiece. You know yeah. that I, I I didn't know they they drill it straight and then they use heat to bend it. You know I I could not figure that out. So uh, what I did, I went to uh, to. Uh, market and bought uh, one of those cheap, cheap uh, Chinese pipes and uh, took the the mouthpiece out. It was some kind of plastic vulcan. I don't know what it was. Uh, And fit it into uh, the the new pipe I was was making. And um, I was uh, also uh, taking another one, cutting it in half and looking at uh, the cross-section, see how did they uh, drill the what was the size of the air hole? What did they? I didn't know much about, but uh, um, I tried to replicate that uh, that engineering, and uh, I made it into a smokable pipe. Uh, <laughs> so I uh, 
borrowed a little bit of that uh, that tobacco from my friend, went back uh, to Bucharest, and uh, I filled it up, and uh, uh, it smoked. It smoked uh, miraculously. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, so that was very encouraging, very encouraging. Uh, I didn't like the taste because uh, probably the wood was not uh, uh, ideal for, uh, for, uh, for pipe smoking, so it had a little bit of a bitter taste. I was trying the other pipe, the Bulldog, and uh, I, I could tell the difference. Um, but uh, smoking it over and over again, eventually it built up uh, a cake. I didn't know it was a cake, but then <laughs> it was like charred black stuff inside, and uh, it started smoking better and better. So, uh, well, wait a second, let's make more. So uh, next time I was picking up some horn. I found some horn, and I uh, managed to drill uh, of course, I uh, couldn't bend it, so I made it into a straight pipe. And, um, yeah, little by little, uh, just the number of pipes start growing and uh, becoming more uh, creative with them, uh, more shapes, and uh, uh, trying new types of wood. I uh, picked up some apple wood and then some cherry, and uh, um, I digged out some uh, um, uh, rose bush uh, roots. My father actually said, oh, "Well, you know, the, the roses they have this big. We have these old, old roses that died in the, in our backyard. So why don't you try that?" So we uh, we went for a hunt, dig out some uh, big uh, burrows of rosewood, and uh, cut it with a chainsaw and uh, let it dry for a few years. And uh, interesting, that was that was beautiful. A lot of cracks and imperfection, but I thought that was beautiful. I mean, that was positive. The pipes more character and. Uh, the color of the wood was beautiful. Um, yeah, and they, they start. Uh, I ended up uh, probably a year later. I had like uh, four or five pipes, uh, smoking pipes that I could smoke. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was exciting. It was exciting. And I, uh, interestingly enough, I got a lot of attention from my friends. You know, for these these uh, unusual uh, pipes because uh, I I start carving them in a in a very very different way. I was just immediately leaving the living away the, you know, whatever I've seen and uh, try to improvise and uh, be very creative. Yeah, that's how, how it all started. The only thing that was uh, unsolved was the, the tobacco. The tobacco was pretty uh, scarce, you know. And uh, whenever a, a friend of mine got some tobacco, we, uh, we were sharing. That was, that was very beautiful, you know. Um, just uh, smelling it, you know, then very careful out of reverence for every every piece of tobacco and every every cut, you know, and uh, smoking it carefully and uh, uh, yeah, I was it was a, a learning experience. It was beautiful. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk about the pipes you're making now and all kinds of stuff. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with Rolando. And when last we left off, it was uh, 1990, and you got and you were able to leave Romania. Uh, what was your what was the impression like the first time you made it into a pipe shop in the in the West? Uh, well, I brought. Uh, by the way, I have to mention I brought all the pipes that I was uh, crafting back home. I even was I think. A dozen of pipes, and um, 
I expected that I'm going to see people smoking everywhere, on the streets, in the shops, everywhere. And to my surprise, nobody was smoking a pipe. So it was just, <laughs> wait a second, is pipe smoking dead? What's going on here, you know? So uh, <laughs> uh, it took me a while to discover a uh, tobacco shop, right? I was new in New York. I, I was uh, working um, as uh, an assistant designer for a jewelry company in Soho. And uh, in lunchtime, I was just browsing the street in the search of a tobacco shop. And um, finally, I found a little guy, a little shop somewhere. And uh, um, I got the pipes. They were uh, too expensive for me to buy, of course, at that time. I, I was uh, uh, the beginning of my career, so uh, couldn't afford that. But uh, there was um, Amphora, Captain Black, and Borkum Riff for sale. So. Uh, <laughs> It was like a dollar twenty-five or something. I don't remember exactly. How it was uh, something that I could could really afford. Uh, a couple of bucks for a, for a pouch, and that was it. That was uh, uh, amazing, you know, to to buy my first pouch of tobacco, you know, and go home and smoke it in my um, fruit tree wood uh, pipe, and it was. Amazing, yeah. And um, it took probably a year or so. Um, I was going to uh, shops for some supplies in a diamond district on 47th Street uh, uh, to get some tools or materials for my jewelry project. And uh, I think it was 46th Street between 5th and 6th that I run into uh, Ed Borak's shop. Oh, and wow. that was yeah, that was the shock, the shock of my life. So um, I remember going down a few steps into his shop and seeing the art of pipes making the art. I mean, they were art, you know. I was like, whoa, 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 this is it, this is it, you know. I spent hours, hours there coming back. Of course, uh, Ed was there, and he was trying to sell me pipes, and, of course, the price was uh, prohibitive. Thirty to hundred, twenty to hundred dollars pipe, which today is it's a decent price. But then that was that was uh, prohibited for me. But I was looking in, 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 uh, you know, to uh, at his his work, and uh, I kept visiting and visiting that shop over and over again, looking at his pipes. And uh, I can say there was uh, influence. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to carve something that that uh, showed that elegance and uh, beauty uh, of his of his forms. Um, and, but uh, the problem was no wood. I didn't have my uh, <laughs> my uh, stack of uh, of cherry wood. I didn't have anything. And uh, um, I, I finally I asked uh, I asked. Um, Ed for where he gets his wood, and they said, "Well, I can sell you a block if you want to start the pipe." So yeah, that was uh, that was the beginning. <laughs> and then we uh, we fast forward. You live in uh, in upstate New York, and you've been teaching and doing all kinds of stuff. What else besides teaching in the in the pipe making? What else are you doing? Uh, I was uh, getting a job, uh, evening job, at the Continuing Education at Parsons School of Design, teaching uh, um, teaching uh, people how to make jewelry, and um, yeah, that was uh, one uh, one job. And um, I started building a little little uh, shop in uh, in my uh, um, in my home in a garage. Um, uh, I started getting. Uh, Wood, briar wood, and uh, uh, saving some money, uh, buying a lathe, uh, buying a few sanders. So uh, things start uh, start uh, growing, but uh, still, uh, I thought there is no market for pipes. I could not see anybody, you know, really buying, selling, uh, except uh, Ed Burak. Uh, and uh, I thought. Uh, there's not much to do about just for my own enjoyment, uh, making some pipes, smoking them. I love good briar, and uh, that was it, you know. Till one day, till one day, <laughs> and I met somebody, 
and that was it. I met, I met uh, the president of the Hudson Valley Pipe Club, <laughs> and uh, he actually walked in my class, uh, Parson, and uh, was asking if somebody can make, fashion him a silver ring for, uh, for the pipe that he said, well, I can make it for you, but also I can make a pipe if you're interested. So he goes like, oh, are you a pipe smoker? I say, yeah, well, uh, so why don't you join uh, uh, our pipe club? So we'll meet more, uh, more guys. So all of a sudden, this whole world opened up uh, of pipe smokers and collectors, and uh, um, they were very supportive. They, uh, they liked the shapes uh, that I was making and said, why don't you make more? and uh, were uh, interested in buying and purchased them. You know. So that's, uh, that's how uh, the serious business started. And uh, that was, uh, it was pretty late, I think, uh, towards, the, towards 2000, uh, end of the 90s, end of the 90s, I would say, yeah. yeah. And I can, I can honestly say that your pipes are distinctive. I mean, I can spot a Rolando-made pipe from across the room because... You have you developed your own style, and your shape inspirations are all from. Uh, I I would assume they're all from things that you see in nature. That's correct. That's correct. So uh, I think my background, uh, artistic education, uh, was a, a main factor here. So I was always looking uh, with a fresh eye, and. Um, always see possibilities and uh, I thought that the pipe is a, uh, is a great medium for an artist. There were uh, endless possibilities of expression in that piece of wood. Um, so uh, um, yeah, drawing a lot, sketching a lot, uh, and uh, have, having to do with, uh, with shapes in general. Um, lends to a very unusual, and I enjoy the unusual, you know, to surprise uh, people with new shapes, and uh, I thought that was, uh, that was my, uh, um, that was, that was exciting for me, you know, to create something completely different, something that never been seen before. Um, of course, I looked at, uh, at the traditional pipes, and I enjoyed them, but I said, well, there is, there is more to the pipe, there should be more than, than, than uh, and I, uh, I wasn't uh, looking too much into uh, other people's work because uh, I didn't own a computer at that time. Uh, websites were not as popular as today. So uh, I couldn't really see other, other people's work. So I think naturally uh, I, uh, I started doing uh, very unusual things. And uh, uh, later on, people will call them avant-garde or whatever. Uh, I just think they were just uh, a very, very uh, sculptural, artistic expression of my uh, uh, other type of work, you know, sculptural work. It came just very, very natural to be, uh, to be the way they are. But yet, if you, in, in my eye, if you look at your pipes, your pipes are sculptural and unique, but you haven't strayed so far away from the original idea of the forms that you can't identify them anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a very interesting, uh, um, very interesting object. I, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, uh, I went through different phases, you know, complicating myself, simplifying, uh, trying to explore uh, constantly, constantly. It's, it's, it's a, it's a it was a, always a challenge, but a, a fun, fun challenge uh, to uh, to explore uh, this, uh, the possibilities. Uh, never exhausted. I don't think there is a there is a limit to it. Um, and uh, later on, when I when I uh, start getting better and better wood, um, and I spoke to a few uh, professionals uh, in the field, like older carvers. Uh, uh, I understood um, that this uh, this dialogue, I started understanding the dialogue with the material in, in the direction of grain and um, and engineering. You know, my engineering was originally not not too great, and then um, 
little by little, uh, the wood, the engineering, the shape, and what was in my head, you know, start coming together. And uh, uh, yeah, as as uh, a, a process, a long process, discovering. When we uh, when we talk about engineering, you do a series of pipes called the the conducta. Uh, you want to describe those for everybody? Yeah, um, I can uh, uh, tell the the story where this came from. It was a very interesting story. I, I was uh, I don't remember exactly. I was in uh, St. Petersburg at a pipe show, and uh, uh, I remember I met. Revyagin, a uh, famous uh, Russian uh, carver, and um, he didn't speak English, so it was difficult to un- to communicate. But we we had a common ground, we had pipes, so we could really um, speak another language, language of pipes, <laughs> right? Pipe shapes and engineering, <laughs> very interesting. So we sat down, and uh, I've seen his. Uh, what he called now reverse calabash. I think he, in my opinion, I'm not sure. If in my opinion, I think he he was the the creator, the inventor of this new system of reverse calabash, in which he was creating um, this back chamber um, uh, inspired by traditional calabash, but putting the chamber uh, in the back of the pot towards the, uh, the stem and carving it by hand and creating this uh, cooling, Im- 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 immense cooling chamber. Um, had uh, um, made sense all of a sudden. It, it really made sense in my head. I said, wait a second, this, this, this is uh, something to explore, you know. And uh, I remember there was, uh, Tom Elton was there and uh, uh, some other Danish carvers, and we all sat down and looked at the audience and said, well, this is something, you know. So then we left. Uh, Tom went to Denmark. I went to New York. and. Uh, we start exploring the system uh, each in his own way. Um, uh, So I uh, came up with this uh, double chamber pipes that I uh, made first and smoked, and I was uh, blown away by the the dry smoke and the lightness of the pipe because there's very wood left in that, that pipe. So not only that I was a great smoker, but also opened up possibilities for new designs and shapes, very modern, very minimalistic. And that was a great thing because I, I was just a little bit bored with a super sophistication uh, of uh, too, too much shape, too much ornamentation on my pipe. So I, I cleaned up all the, the unnecessary you know, uh, flow of shapes and, and volumes and reduced everything to uh, you know two cylinders uh, um, very very nicely connected with some very simple uh, ornamental rings uh, and um, uh, they were smoking great I made more and I uh, uh, gave them to uh, to my friends to my uh, collectors and uh, uh, tobacco blenders and uh, asked for feedback and uh, they're saying that the pipe not only smokes dry, uh, also enhances mysteriously the, um, the tobacco flavor, which I don't understand why uh, uh, the chemistry happened. Uh, and um, I uh, had to come up with a name, uh, so I uh, called him Conducta. Is a, uh, it is a Latin name, Romanian name, which means, uh, which describes how uh, a gas or a fluid uh, uh, transfer from one chamber to another. So it's it's like it's conducting the smoke from one place to another. So I thought that uh, that would be a good name for the series of pipes. Yeah, that's how uh, it came into existence. And you do them in all different shapes, and some shapes that I've I wouldn't imagine you could be able to fit the second chamber into, but. You've taken that idea and moved it into very large pipes, small pipes, all different shapes. Correct, correct, correct. Once I, I, I figured out uh, the proper way of uh, drilling and uh, um, connecting the stem with that uh, second chamber, 
I uh, start exploring, taking a little bit of uh, the earlier shapes and introducing them, uh, introducing the new system on them. So uh, uh, a whole new uh, group of pipes evolved. And, um, it was uh, it was total fun, fun, fun. I think uh, work should be fun. You know, it should not feel like work. So uh, it was uh, it was great to uh, apply the system to uh, a lot. Those earlier earlier shapes by cleaning them a little bit, simplifying them a little bit, and, um, yeah, introducing new elements, uh, uh, decorative elements at the, at the end of the shank. Rolando's website is a t e l i e r r o l a n d o. It's Atelier Rolando. And on there, besides a bunch of pictures of pipes, you also have some uh, very interesting and very pretty knives and uh, some pipe accessories that you do. Yes, I do. I do uh, knives. I always was fascinated with knives. And um, um, it's some, some mysterious thing happened when I made the first first knife. I was just uh, reading a book about knife making, and uh, that was in the early 90s in New York in my shop in, in Chelsea. And um, I said, well, uh, why not? Making a knife for the shop, you know, it would be nice to have a carving knife or something that lays on my desk, you know. So I uh, started grinding a piece of steel, uh, learning about heat treating, uh, using some uh, leftovers from my pipes, uh, some briars to, uh, to make the handle. And... Uh, his first knife came uh, came into existence, and uh, for some mysterious, I said for some mysterious reason, I got hooked with with this thing. I, I wanted <laughs> to make a second one, a second one, a next one, a next one. And uh, my friends were looking at me. Said, well, uh, are you not so wild? What are, what are you making of these knives? I don't know. It's just a need, you know. Uh, 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 a very very interesting thing. Uh, the only thing I can I can ex- the only way I can explain this is must must be some. Something to do with uh, uh, the memory of uh, human uh, human evolution, uh, because this was the first uh, first tool that uh, humans were were using. You know, one of the first the scraper, the color, uh, the, the flint map blade. Uh, later on, the bronze and then the steel um, must have given some kind of confidence and some kind of uh, you know. Uh, feel uh, of security in the hands of the of the user, and probably this is uh, still in our uh, 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 memory of species. Uh, species. I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, so I continued uh, uh, with, uh, with working with steel and uh, start making tampers and uh, reamers and cleaners and. Uh, that was that came very easy because I I was doing a lot of jewelry at that time so metal work was was uh, was very very uh, handy I had all the tools in the shop so it was uh, it was easy so uh, today I still make knives I made them mostly for uh, for uh, as a relaxation you know they're they're not my main business I make them whenever I'm getting tired of uh, working in the shop on on the briar I uh, take a piece of steel out to the forge and hammer some blades and uh, some handles on, you know, give them to my wife to check to see if uh, they're any good for the kitchen or uh, eventually sell them once in a while at the shows. But uh, they're just uh, my second, uh, second, uh, let's say, line of uh, products beside pipes. It's a hobby for the artist. Correct, correct. That's a good definition. It's a hobby, yeah. Yeah, and uh, with the... Huge variety of steels that are available today, and uh, uh, I started making some Damascus blades, and then I uh, discovered uh, the junkyards and all <laughs> that good, good, good old steel that's in the leaves of a truck and the spring of a car, and uh, all that good steel that can be recycled and uh, will cost nothing. So I uh, once in a while go to uh, to the dump and. Uh, Pick up some good, uh, good spring leaf from an old car or something, and uh, uh, forge a wonderful blade, uh, good steel. So that's another fun thing to do. And uh, I also teach kids doing that. I have a bunch of uh, 
friends who were their their uh, their kids are interested in uh, knife making. So once in a while, we we'll, maybe in summertime, we'll uh, we'll uh, I usually do a little uh, workshop with the kids and uh, make some uh, wilderness knives that they can take out in the woods and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a super fun thing to do. Rolando, well, we could go on for hours because this is a this. Is, it's really fun talking to the artist that makes a, a functional sculpture. Uh, but we will uh, wrap this up with the fast five final questions. You've heard them before. No right answer, no wrong answer. It's whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Yes. What is your favorite pipe? I don't have a favorite pipe. Come on, there's so many pipes out there. There is no way. No, that's that 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 question cannot be answered because each pipe is 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 a is is an entity of its own with its character and beauty. It's like saying who who's your who's your favorite person in the world. It's it's impossible. Each each pipe is it's unique and has its it's pro and con and it's beauty and it's uh, I don't know uh, it's, uh, there is no way I, I have I smoke all my rejects so I have a huge box of rejects and uh, they have like little imperfections right here and there I cannot sell them but they are perfect smokers so um, based upon my mood based upon the time of the year based upon um, uh, the tobacco I'm smoking uh, Mostly based on mood, I pick up something and say, wow, this is my favorite. I smoke it, I put it back, maybe a week later, I pick another and I say, oh, I love this one. You know? <laughs> uh, I have also a few, a few uh, uh, pipes that I, I um, exchange with other fellow uh, pipe makers. So uh, I trade pipes sometimes at shows, um, and uh, sometimes I feel attracted to a, to a one of them, and I, I, I smoke them with great pleasure, and uh, uh, take it with me on a trip or somewhere, and uh, uh, and then uh, it lays down for you for months, uh, and I pick up something else. So it's, it's there's no way of saying uh, it's a favorite pipe. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, well we'll try this one. What's your favorite tobacco? Oh, that's easy. <laughs> a little bit easier, not easy. A little bit easier. <laughs> So uh, I'm a um, uh, obsessed Virginia uh, tobacco smoker. So I love, love Virginia. So I'm trying every possible Virginia, especially flakes, pressed flakes, are, are on my list. So uh, from uh, Peter Stockabies to uh, Samuel Gavitt to McMarran, um, I would um, pick up any of these, and I, I, I would say, wow, this is great, this is great. Um, uh, I love, love flakes, Virginia flakes, and um, um, I, 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 I like Atakia too, but, but not as, as, I don't smoke it as, as often. And um, sometimes I think my favorite tobacco would be, let's say, right now I'm smoking uh, this pure Virginia McBarn, which I find in a, a very good tobacco for, for, for a morning pie, you know. Uh, maybe later in the afternoon I'll smoke a Sam's, Sam's Flake or something, you know. But uh, definitely Virginia, that's that's my tobacco, yes. What is your favorite drink? Oh, single malt. Single malt scotch. <laughs> that goes well with Virginia. Uh, you cannot beat that. That uh, cannot beat um, uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, choices out there on the market. Uh, I would say uh, Lagavulin would be uh, one of my favorites. Um, and uh, Talisker's, uh, but uh, especially single moths, yes. That's, that's, uh, that's my favorite. When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Music, music. I have a great uh, sound station in my shop that my son helped me put together, and uh, I play a lot of, uh, I let the, the, the computer play a lot of music for me through this, uh, these amplifiers, and uh, that's the, the best way to relax and work. It's, it's uh, helping me focus, concentrate, and uh, 
to my work, and uh, I like movies uh, as well. Uh, I watch a lot of movies, classics, and uh, uh, independent movies, and uh, yeah, um, I do do like movies a lot too. Yes. And the final question: Do you have a particularly favorite pipe smoking related memory? Pipe smoking memory. Uh, there are many. There are many, but uh, I, I, they cannot beat a moment of of when um, collectors and friends and pipe smokers and musicians gathering in my shop and we light up uh, pipes and open up a bottle of uh, single malt and play music. And, uh, and and smoke. I mean, enjoying all the good things in life, as I used to say. Um, and there were many, many of these moments. I tried to uh, to uh, to convince people to come to my shop and to do this once in a while. Uh, um, I live deep into the woods, so it's a trip for everybody. But uh, they 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 come. And we sit down and we do these things. We we talk, we smoke, and uh, we have uh, the best time uh, of our lives. I would say <laughs> can't go better than that. Uh, also, um, a very very good uh, memory of smoking pipes and enjoying pipes is the annual gathering here at. Um, uh, and uh, peak scale in New York, we have this uh, uh, Hudson Valley uh, Pipe Club show in November every year. Um, there's a limited amount of people there, and um, uh, we uh, get together for a few hours, uh, uh, smoke, do the same thing, have fun, uh, talk to people, you know, friendship, camaraderie. Uh, it's all about this beautiful community of, uh, of pipe collectors, smokers, uh, and uh, pipe fans. You know, that's, uh, I uh, cannot pick up one moment at all great. And as I said, with the pipes, I don't have a specific pipe or a specific moment. But I know when, uh, you know, when I hold a good pipe in my hand or when I have good friendship and a good... Uh, good uh, company in my shop. Will we see you at uh, Chicago this year? Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, I'm going to be in Chicago. Absolutely. I miss Chicago. I missed it a few years in a row because my teaching schedule, but uh, I figured out a way to uh, uh, straighten up these things, and I will uh, be in Chicago. I will definitely be there, yes. Bringing new things. Rolando, I'm looking forward to seeing you. I'm looking forward to see you and all my friends there and all, all the people that I know. Absolutely. Check out Rolando's website and if you can't get to if you get to Chicago, look for him. He's easy to find, probably wearing a uh, brown leather vest. <laughs> That's a good one, yes. <laughs> One that my wife made for me, yes. Yes, that's my pipe smoking vest. Correct. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. We'll be back in just a minute. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is Molto Dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. <laughs> just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. 
Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. It is like they are all having a giant playful pillow fight on smooth and silky sheets of tobacco in my mouth. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Satleff Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Balto Dolce blend in public. This is Internet Radio. And welcome back. All right, Rolando is uh, not only a true gentleman, but uh, just a, a wonderful artist and a great story. Uh, so check out his pipes. Go to his website. All right, for music, I uh, got Dino to thank again for this one. Dino found a uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan and Albert King, uh, two pipe smokers, playing Pride and Joy. So there were two blues masters that could uh, smoke their guitars and smoke their pipes too.
Well, what'd you think of that? I mean, just smoking hot. Master, I have mail for you. In the mailbag, uh, John Seiler writes, Hi, Brian. After a while, everyone comes up with their own way to put tobacco away. We learn from experience. Yes, we do. Uh, He goes on to say, I don't believe I have met Dan Barnes. I've found that there is a time for a pipe and a time for cigars. I normally smoke pipes. Cigars are for those times when I can't smoke a pipe. Makes sense. Uh, Such as riding the lawn tractor, cutting grass, or when they run out of McClellan 5100 at my favorite shop. I think that Dan needs to try a good briar if he has not. Uh, music, Earl Hines, Stormy Monday Blues, nice but short. John, that how's this one? This one was longer. Uh, rant, what can I say? I agree, nice show. And the last one real quick, Jabo writes, uh, great show again. Store my tobacco the same anyway. Uh, if you run out of room, give me a holler and I'll help you out. Keep up the good work. Always enjoy your stuff. Thank you very much, and uh, don't forget also, uh, JDRF auctions are coming up. If you have something that you'd like to donate, please email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, and I'll gladly take that off of you. And in just a minute, rant time. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn, or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Meet Josh. Everyone at smokingpipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes. I smoke them. Call us at one 366 0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at smokingpipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com. Cowboy. Cowboy. Have you read in the forums where people refer to tobaccos as OTC? Does anybody really know what OTC means? It means over-the-counter, and that is a term that is referenced when dealing with drugs. Drugs that are sold over-the-counter don't require a prescription. Well, who's the moron that started using OTC in the forums for what we in the industry call either the mass market, the popular priced, or the drugstore tobaccos. I mean, really, do we need to reference a tobacco as something that's available over the counter as opposed to the other ones that require a prescription? I mean, come on, it's stupid enough to use an abbreviation, but to choose OTC over the counter, the same thing that is referenced when you're talking about painkillers, and other narcotics? No, why don't you call them what it's properly called, which is either mass market tobaccos or the drugstore blends, whatever you want to call them, but don't call them OTC. It just looks stupid, and the last thing we really need is for someone from a government to look in here and say, aha, it really is a drug. We need to regulate you even more. So get the OTC out of the forums. Don't refer to any tobacco product as OTC. It's not manufactured. We can't run ads about how it's going to make your sex life better. It's not prescribed by a doctor. No, tobacco is a naturally grown item that is processed 
and created in a blend. Call them mass market, call them drugstore blends, call them popularly priced, but over-the-counter or OTC, I mean, really, that's about one of the stupidest things I've seen on a regular basis in the forums. All right, uh, that just about wraps up tonight's show. want to remind you all to please leave a rating or review on Stitcher or iTunes. We appreciate those. Post any comments you got on the, uh, on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com. Uh, want to see what I'm doing in Mexico? Hopefully I'll uh, post a few pictures or two, maybe. I don't know. Depends on what the Wi-Fi's like. Uh, thank you to Rolando for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Budget? We don't need no stinking budget. Oh no! <laughs>